Our first scripture reading this morning is from the 8th chapter of the letter of Paul to the Romans. You could find that on page 147 in the New Testament of your pew Bible if you're looking. Again, page 147, uh, Romans chapter 8, 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. From the Gospel according to Matthew, the 13th chapter, we'll read verses 1 through 9, the parable of the sower, and then jump down to verse 18 where Jesus interprets it for his disciples. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on a path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. They sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. If you have ears, hear. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which was sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. 
As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this age, the lure of wealth, choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for the one that was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Pray with me. Let us receive with gladness, but may the fertility of our hearts give depth to those words you speak to us, that they may grow and multiply and bring glory to your kingdom through Christ our Lord. Amen. Dan, that's the uh, uh, second time in the last couple of weeks I've, I've heard about the president of Hope College and his plan to just give tuition away. His desire is someday to make the whole college that way, but the trustees might get in the way. Um, and every time I hear about him, I feel bad for the Stockbridge family. If only Jane had been born four years later, you know, it, would have, it could have been free. Anyway, that's not what my sermon's about today, but I'm easily distracted. Where did Dan begin our epistle reading today? He began there in the first verse of the eighth chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Rome with these words. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I thought for a while of making my entire sermon repeating that sentence over and over and over again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What seems so amazing to me is how quickly we hear these words and absorb them with great relief. God's grace through faith releases us from the bondage to death and rises in us to a joyful promise of everlasting life. And we say, Alleluia, Amen, thank you Jesus. But almost immediately as we turn from those words, we say, did, did you see what she just did? Do, do, do you hear what he said? I can't believe it, can you? We have this weird selective hearing. We take the promises and liberations of Scripture and apply them immediately to ourselves and then pivot to our neighbors and apply all of the judgments and the condemnations on them. I glory in the fact that I have been saved by the grace of Christ. I'm no longer bound by sin and by imperfections. You, on the other hand, are going to hell. It's like the comment on the way out of church. Pastor shaking hands. Parishioner says, you know, preacher, that was, that was an absolutely amazing sermon. It was like you spent your time writing it just for the guy two rows in front of me. What's more, I'm confident that in the next few hours, having heard the grand liberating news of the grace of God through Christ Jesus, you and I will in quiet reflection wonder, 
Am I good enough? Have I done all I could? Am I really lovable? Somehow when we step away from the text, all of those questions about others, and yes, sometimes even ourselves, it's an odd situation to be a pastor sitting with someone who is obviously in the final chapter of their life questioning whether or not they had made choices good enough for God to receive them. And it makes me wonder, what have they heard from preaching, from fellowship, from study? What have they learned from the community of faith in which they have been active participants their entire earthly lives when they get to the end of things and wonder, are they facing condemnation? Are they included by grace? Likewise, earlier in life, wondering if the words of condemnation are to come out of our lips, and when we speak them, are we speaking as those who are in Christ? It becomes imperative, again, to say it. I don't think we relish in it or lean into it enough. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What makes that proclamation so miraculous is our weakness in comprehending what we mean by no condemnation and in Christ Jesus. Because the declaration pivots to understand one, you need to be able to understand the other. Our tendency when we hear the word condemnation from the Bible leads us to immediately think about eternal damnation, right? Where you will burn in a lake of fire, and there'll be weeping and a gnashing of teeth, right? The old David Allen joke. A weeping and gnashing of teeth. The woman in the front row goes, I haven't got any teeth. And the preacher says, teeth will be provided. That's what we think when we hear the Bible and it says condemnation, but that is not what Paul is narrowly referring to when he talks about being no condemnation. Let's look at the concluding verse that Dan read. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. That in our mortal bodies, the power of Christ's resurrection can live, which should lead us no longer into the activity of condemnation. The message is not only about you. It is also a message through you in your mortal bodies to proclaim the grace of Christ it is not just about what happens to us but when condemnation flows through us we can rightfully ask is that being in Christ Jesus but when the declaration of grace and love and life flows through us then Paul says ah now you've got it. You are in Christ. So let's jump from the epistle lesson to the gospel lesson, this wonderful story about the sower and the seeds. It's, 
It's a parable that appears in all of the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is roughly the same in all three books. It goes through the same rhythm of four different kinds of seed. A sower goes out to spread seeds and does so with an unremarkable mindlessness. I don't know uh, if you went to the Capitol during a field trip in elementary school, but for those of us in Nebraska, Steve Picton, uh, Leanne Dawkins, uh, Phyllis Gutner, but she's not here today, uh, you, you went to the Capitol in the state of Nebraska, and on the very top of the Capitol is a 19-foot-tall bronze statue of a sower. It was commissioned by uh, uh, Tu Lee Lowry, who was the sculptor, um, by Bertram Goodhue, who was the architect. If you want to see a local example of Goodhue and Lowry's work, you can go to Rockefeller Chapel at the University of Chicago. The sculptures there were Lowry's, and the building there was Goodhue's. Um, and so you don't have to drive all the way to Lincoln, Nebraska um, to, to see their work. But on the top, this classic sculpture of a sower, he has slung over his shoulder a bag. The bag sits about thigh high to his left, and he's scooping seeds out of the bag, and he is flinging his arms indiscriminately so that the seeds fall figuratively all over the state of Nebraska, but functionally just at the bottom of the capital which might account for all the pigeons. It is this repeated action that is caught in frieze and bronze, but you get the image of thrust and scoop and spread and thrust and scoop and spread. As we are told in Jesus' interpretation in the parable here in Matthew 13, as the seed falls, it strikes a variety of places, hard soil, rocky soil, soil filled with thorns, and then, aha, fertile soil. The disposition of each kind of soil determines the destination of the seed. Is it snatched away by birds? Is it scorched by the summer heat? Is it choked by thorns and thistles? Does it grow? This untargeted approach to agriculture has a certain wastefulness to it, does it not? It's not modern agriculture where the farmer deposits each seed, driving the cedar between the rows and squirting just enough fertilizer and nitrogen so that each one will flourish. No, it is a much more old-fashioned act of faith that the seeds will find where they need to go and they will eventually find that soil in which the warmth of the sun will cause it to germinate and the moisture will cause it to grow far beyond the loss of those who fell in less fertile places. While Jesus focuses on the different types of soil, the different kinds of hearts that receive the word, at no point does he condemn the sower for being so reckless. The sower could be accused of wasting the seed. Why not carefully find the places to go? No, Jesus says that is the image of the declaration of the gospel, a reckless act of spreading the good news of the kingdom of God. He's unabated. The goal is the harvest, but the method is broad, it is wide, it is indiscriminate. 
It is for Jesus the consistent broadcast of the good news of the kingdom of God, of the gospel. We become the face of that sower. Challenged not to hoard the seed in our little bags of self-righteousness, but to dip into the word of God's love, scoop out the sufficiency of Christ's grace, and spread the life-giving possibility of the news of the gospel to every kind of heart, whether we, wherever we trod, whatever we do, ours should be the declarative task of announcing there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As Jesus points out, some aren't going to get it. They just won't. It's kind of my understanding of predestination. Some people get it, some people don't. It's not about what happens in eternity. It's about what happens when we interact. If we share the gospel of Christ and someone's heart is hard or confused by all the distractions, that's not our responsibility. Ours is to spread the good news of grace, regardless of the heart's response of others. We are in the business of Christ's commendation, not divine condemnation. Now, I know today my words are brief. You can be uh, grateful for that. That is because we have a wonderful presentation at the time of the offering to be able to talk about another piece of agricultural growth, and that is the, the use of water to be able to share good news and refreshment and growth and healing and strength, kind of what happens next to the seed that finds good soil is the clean, refreshing water that falls upon it. But here, in this moment of the service, we're challenged. We're challenged to think about what kind of seeds we sow and how diligent and consistent and unrelenting that act of dispersal happens to be. Can we do it with open hands and joyful hearts? The harvest, when we sow, is not our concern. That is left to God. Thanks be to God. Please stand with me. We'll speak the words of the Apostles' Creed as our affirmation of faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered and was crucified and He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He descended into heaven. He sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the
Now that part of the service you've been waiting for when they dim the lights and we hear about our ministry, Living Waters for the World. Good morning. We're, we didn't practice with that, so give us a little bit of a break. Um, but my name is Susan Sedler. And I'm Susan Rusk. I sort of wanted to introduce us as the Susans, you know, like, hi, we're the Susans, like in that Prevagen commercial for those of you who make. But anyway, we are here. Yeah, well, yeah. We're here this morning to give you um, an update on our Living Waters for the World ministry. Uh, just to recap, Living Waters uh, for the World ministry is uh, a ministry of the Presbyterian Church USA. The ministry trains volunteers to establish and lead water teams. Water teams partner with communities in need, of which there are so many, to implement and operate sustainable water purification systems and health education programs with the help of the in-country Living uh, Waters Network Services. Uh, on our slide two, um, since 1993, Living Waters for the World has shared clean water with over 1,000 communities across 26 countries. Today the ministry is focused on, and I know these are hard to see, and I will be happy to email you my our whole presentation because I know you're really going to want to dig in after we've gone through all of this. Anyway, today the ministry is focused within 11 network regions, um, primarily now in Central and South America, then over in Ghana. Our purpose in becoming a water church is to help people that to lack the basic necessities of safe drinking water, of which there, again, are so many. Over, according to the World Health Organization, over 25% of the world's population lacks access to clean water. Our role as a water church is to assist our partner communities in building these water filtration systems and educate the community on how to effectively use this clean water for their hygiene, cooking needs, etc. And then we help them set up a sustainable business model to sell five-gallon bottles of safe drinking water for a small profit. They can then use these proceeds to pay their operators as well as pay for repairs or additional equipment um, that they need. As the, once the system is set up, uh, we stand back in our role and we are really their advisors, their cheerleaders in continuing this operation. We embarked on our mission uh, to become a water church back in 2019. We are the third church in Illinois. The, other is, the others are the First Presbyterian Church of Aurora and the Ridgefield Crystal Lake Presbyterian Church. And then slide four. Slide four, please. Currently, our team, water team has 15 active members, and we're always looking for more. Uh, and we're led by John Hall, whose indomitable spirit and drive has inspired us all. Uh, we are John Hall, Rebecca O'Connor, Greg Sandman, Allison Metcalf, Jen Stopbridge, Brad Dezur, Doreen Dezur, uh, Sturba Dezur, Lance Calamine, Butch Sedler, Susan Jacobs, Betty McGinnis, Chris Rolando, and Brian Tennyson. And uh, we're looking for more. Yes. You can notice you. We can if you'd like, please see one of us. We'll be happy to yeah. sign up. <laughs> Anything you want to know. 
to date, we have signed covenants with three churches in El Salvador. Slide five. There you go. There you see it. Um, the three churches are um, El Espino, are in El Espino, El Paraiso, Pariso, and San Cristobal. Our first, um, we signed our first covenant with uh, the church in El Espino in 2020. Um, they had already established a water filtration system with another church and it enjoyed a six-year partnership with this church, um, but that church was unable to continue their partnership. So they still had challenges that they wanted to address, and given you know this was at the time of the pandemic and we couldn't really travel to the country to do the actual installation everything, um, it seemed like a really good idea to adopt this church. I mean, it fit really nice, especially since this was our our first venture. We met with Pastor Santos and churches, uh, the church's water team and El Espino over Zoom on a couple of occasions, and with the help of the translator, uh, we're able to introduce ourselves and really begin to establish the relationship. Um, yeah, fast forward, here's a slide from 2021. As the COVID restrictions began to ease, uh, John Hall and Rebecca O'Connor were able to travel to El Salvador and meet with Pastor Santos and his water team. As you can, we can't see. Okay, so El Espino, again, is doing really, really well. But uh, a big project that they would need our help with for 2023 is to install a, um, a, la a larger raw water project. Water, um, cistern, if you will. So they have um, would be able to rely less on the municipality in getting their raw water and be able to use, um, with this larger capacity, be able to go out and buy the raw water from private, um, private companies. And this is going to be about a $2,900 investment. Last summer, Rebecca O'Connor, Greg Sandman, and John went to El Pariso to help install their water filtration system. They now have four water distribution points around the community and also sell water at the church. They are promoting the use of purified water during the meeting of the Children's Parents of Compassion International um, and also sharing information about caring for the bottle, bottles and how their system works. They are also interested in obtaining educational books to teach the children. Slide 10 shows photos of the El Pariso uh, installation and the celebration. Um, slide 11 shows that we purchased 100 more bottles. This is 2023 project um, and dispensers for them and also labels and stickers, bottle labels. We are also purchasing t-shirts at their request, and we thought, yeah, that makes good sense, with the Living Water for the World logo, so they look more coordinated during public events, and um, is certainly good marketing for our brand. Moving on, uh, in just a couple of weeks, um, uh, starting on August 9th, John Hall, Greg Sandman, Rebecca O'Connor, and Allison Madcuff will be traveling there for installation with San Cristobal. Um, and they will also then provide all the um, health education uh, trainings and hopefully be able to visit our two other partner communities. This past Wednesday, we had a call with Pastor Rigoberto 
um, to go over some of the details of their upcoming trip. And they are so ready for us. They actually want to come to the airport to pick up our water team, and we're like, well, how are you going to do that? Because you don't have cars, you don't have vans, and it isn't exactly close by. But they really are. You can see just the sheer delight on their face about this project. Um, we take most of the equipment, well, we I think we take most of the equipment uh, with us in suitcases. If you'll recall, a year ago, we were asking everybody to have any extra luggage, because this is, we pack up like eight or nine um, um, pieces of luggage to take all this um, equipment down. It takes generally John and Greg and then the San Cristobal team probably two to three days to install this. Um, to install the whole water filtration system. And I, I'm not sure in the earlier picture if you could really get a good view of what goes into how they get the water and through all the pipes and all of that. But, it, you know, it's, um, we're very fortunate. Greg, um, you know, did his training, and he's a, one, you know, he's a wonderful guy in an ability to really help us install um, these systems. Um, yeah, is Greg here? Yeah, Greg. Yeah, yeah, Greg. Go, Greg. Um, in this photo, there is a picture of the San Cristobal team, and Pastor Rigoberto is your second, second from your right. He's yeah. over here. He's over there. He's really young and um, super nice guy and smiles a lot. It's really fun to talk to him. We cannot do this without you. Um, average installation is about $16,000 and some ongoing costs, supporting costs. To date, First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange has contributed more than $30,000. Yay! Because of you, we have been able to raise more than half of the needed amounts through our fundraisers, parts donations, Advent conspiracy offerings, and special gifts and memorials. Also, um, the Chicago Presbytery gave us a grant, thanks to John Hall's, two grants, uh, thanks to John Hall's persistence. And um, a, we got a grant from Westminster Pres Presbyterian Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which is the home church of Karen and Eric Redenbeck, the Living Water um, Network. Um, coordinating team for El Salvador. When we first got involved with them, there were, there were conversations, Zoom conversations with them about um, El Salvador and the Living Water Covenant matching grants. Just, yeah, the next, yeah, the ne the next slide. We can't um, begin to tell you, you know, those of us that have met on these Zoom calls, you know, in terms of such a positive impact that we, um, that we have been able to, and the partner communities have been able to make on their communities. Uh, we recently received a production report from El Pariso in June, and they produced 436 five-gallon bottles of purified water. Around 165 were donations for church activities and their members. And then the remaining bottles provided approximately 135 families with two five-gallon bottles for drinking, cooking, and their hygiene needs. And this may not sound as a lot to us because I Googled this. I'm big on Google. Um, but do you realize that the average American family uses 300 gallons a day. 
So you can just imagine how these, these two five gallons are really making a difference in their life. Um, and, and again, we're just so pleased with um, the production and the positive work that's been done. Um, and thanks to our three different teams, uh, administration and the operators, uh, their installers, and the educators, that's a large part of when uh, our team goes down. There's a lot of educating of the um, congregation of the town about the benefits of um, this purified water. It's huge. In fact, when we were on a recent call with the El Pariso um, team, uh, there was a mother uh, at the meeting, and she really spent a lot of time telling us in Spanish how much she appreciated because her daughter had had um, uh, parasites and um, was ill all the time, and now she's healthy young girl. So we're so grateful. We're so grateful. I mean, being on this call, it was such a humbling yeah. and overwhelmingly, in a way, embarrassing yeah. for us. I mean, I could cry about it because here yeah. they're so grateful, you know, for so little. But it really, again, it's really made an impact on their lives. Um, we have been, um, here's some, uh, yeah. Um, d technology has really been our friend because and through COVID and everything between uh, Zoom, um, and WhatsApp, I, you know, I was not even familiar with WhatsApp, but anyway, um, they really become our communications touchstones. We are also grateful because we have Rebecca O'Connor on our team who speaks fluent Spanish. So, I mean, it really has, uh, you know, I think uh, really helped uh, additionally. And then finally, um, um, Shout out to Dennis Evangelisto, the El Salvador a Living Waters rep who has been, uh, been with us since the very beginning. I'm sorry I should have put a picture up there, but go Dennis. Okay. Um, this week, Dennis is the um, employed by Living Waters, Living Waters. to do the um, uh, communicating, the um, translating. Here, we wanted to show you this banner that the El Pariso team made for us last summer, and I'm sorry we couldn't figure out a way to hang this up with our quilt because it's so it's so good. But here you are, the team. And you're just, and we will find a permanent spot for and for this. But we asked for, I guess we asked for your first mission team um, that is going down for a part of the community. And I want you all to remember, every time you take a drink of water, how many people you are really helping with your support and the living water support. So thank you all very much. That was way more interesting than another 10 minutes worth of sermon. Thank you very much. Um, if you, when you go from this place, starting your week, this is the first day of the week. Starting your week, you head into that week with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. There is no condemnation. You're free by the grace of God.
Amen.